You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's show, we sit down with Joe Sienski, who helps business owners make more money and have more time. He has three decades of accomplished laden experience and has helped over 2,000 companies worldwide to improve their lives and businesses. He has a BS in engineering, MBA in marketing. He's a certified business coach, certified executive coach, best-selling author, speaker, and NLP practitioner. He sees abundance everywhere, comes from a place of generosity and spirit, and channels that energy into helping his clients to thrive. Often ranked as a top business coach in Silicon Valley, who has worked with some of the biggest companies out there. On today's show, we talk about what is the ultimate business framework. As your team grows, who should be the first hires? What areas of financials do people get in the biggest problems? And how does one prepare a business for an exit event or to take on outside capital? This and much more on today's episode. Now let's begin. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. All right, Joe, thank you for taking the time today to be on the Silicon Valley podcast. Now, I'm super excited for you to be here. A mutual friend of ours, Ron Horry, made this introduction about a year ago, and we have had the honor of having countless Zoom calls, planning this, getting things ready for today. Now, I've known Joe. He's an amazing guy. Ron, thank you again for this intro, but tell us a little bit about your background, your career up until this point for our listeners out there. Sean, thank you so much. It's my honor and privilege to meet you actually face-to-face after all these months of video calls and phone calls, et cetera. So thank you. Thank Ron Hari for the introduction. Um, It's my honor and privilege to be here and I look forward to chatting with you today. Now, Joe, your career has been incredible, but you got to tell our listeners, our audience, a little bit about it. Was actually born in France, raised in Arnold, Missouri, grew up in South Korea and live out here. I uh, spent six years in the military and then went to work for a little company called Hewlett Packard. Had a phenomenal 25-year career with them. Did everything uh, from an engineer to helping start up a call center to uh, running a sales organization, marketing operations, everything. I retired in 2007, and I just had a, had a great career and was going to go retire and buy my island. But a little thing happened in 2008 with the real estate market where all my real estate investments went underwater. So I, what am I going to do now? So I decided to start a consulting business because, you know, I'm smart, right? Well, I was failing miserably. And then I found Action Coach, which is actually a franchise. And it gave me the tool set to help my target customers, that small business. 87% of businesses never make it past year two. And I had the tool set then that help out the small businesses. My experience with HP gave me the tool set to help the bigger businesses. So now I had a tool set to help clients walk through the overall process. And I've been doing this for 11 years now. And I love to read and help my clients. Not bad, not bad. Now, Joe, you've helped out some big names in the Valley here. I mean, this is the Silicon Valley podcast. So when I've listened to some of the names of the people you've helped and some of your clients, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. But Joe, For our listeners also, I have a question for you. What is the difference between a consultant, a business coach, and when should a business seek out either? A consultant is typically project. So they're an expert. They come in and you pay them to provide you with a product or a research or 
a deliverable, or as a coach, client-based. In other words, I'm focused on the client and reaching their overall goal. So I walk them through a process to reach their goals, not only from a mindset, but from a business perspective. So I'll touch bases on marketing, sales, operations, everything. If you kind of like an analogy of a doctor, I'm a general practitioner. I'm not a specialist. And I see how that's very valuable for startups. Well, for startups and for, for larger companies, because, you know, I'm an executive coach, just so I got that, uh, that skill set and that tool set. You have to think different. And, and the biggest problem with most businesses, their biggest competitor is right between their ears. And once we get that, that moving in the right direction, everything starts clicking. Wait a second. So you're telling me the biggest problem for most entrepreneurs, most business owners, is the mindset, the mental mentality of being in that position? Absolutely. I mean, you go back to Henry Ford. If you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. It's mindset. Is Half of, the, of everything is what, how you're thinking. And that's why we called it brain share is the name of the company. Where is your brain share? Where's most of your brain thinking about? What's it thinking about? And how do you leverage myself and Elisa and the other resources that we have to get you where you want to go? Now, that's interesting because we've had people in the past episodes of the Silicon Valley podcast, Check Your Orbita, the former center of the Pittsburgh Steelers when they won the Super Bowl. He talked mindset. His, his whole thing was Super Bowl mindset for the entrepreneur. We talked to Sam Wong, who really, I mean, he's taken uh, five companies he started, two had very successful exits, including going IPO. He talked about mental wellness of founders and startups. This is really interesting that it's not just one off. These people are saying it. It sounds like it's the constant theme. It's across the board. I mean, even in your personal life, it's about mindset. You know, you can wake up in the morning and decide to be happy. You can decide to be sad. It's your decision. But we don't think about that. Our subconscious mind drives 99% of what we do. And you can consciously change your subconscious mind with the right tools, systems, and actually just some training. That's fantastic. I mean, we're going to go probably even more questions later about the training, some mindset, and some tips. But before even that, I mean, I got all these questions for you. I got to pull some of that wisdom from between your ears to share it. And one of the things that when I was doing some research for this interview that came to my attention was the ultimate business framework. Now, can you share a little bit about what this is? So many people jump into business without kind of a blueprint of what they want it to look like. And so we wanted to make it simple. So when we put together, it's building a business is like building a house. So you start with your foundation and that foundation has cornerstones. And the four cornerstones are number one, time, because time is your most valuable asset. How you utilize your time will determine the success of your life and your business. We put together a system to allow you to leverage your time and the different modalities that you need to have as you're starting up a business. Because sometimes when you're starting a business, you need to be the VP of marketing and the CEO and the VP of sales and the CFO. How do you do that in an efficient manner? That's what I wrote my book about, Brainshare. Second pillar or, or the, another cornerstone is your vision, your mission, your ultimate goal. What do you want your business to look like when you're done? Because you, know, you can't take it with you. So what are you going to do? What's that ultimate goal? That sets the stage of how we put the roadmap together to get there. So if you don't know where you're going, you might end up there. 
What does that ultimate goal look like? Cornerstone number three is your financials. You've got to know your numbers. I mean, you watch The Profit, you watch Shark Tank, you watch anything. It's you've got to know your numbers, you know, your revenue, your gross profit, your net profit, your number of leads, conversion rate, average dollar sale, number of transactions. These are all numbers that every business owner and every business needs to know. And then your consistency in your product or service or standards. If you look at who makes more hamburgers than anyone in the world. McDonald's? Yes. Why do they make the most? Because everyone knows what you're getting. Everybody knows what they're going to be getting and about what you're going to pay for it. And you get it every single, not every single time, but you get it most of the time. So they were the first, I mean, when I was a kid, you had a hamburger stand. You went there, you didn't know what you were going to get. Sometimes the burgers were half done, half, half done, overdone. The fries were At McDonald's, it's consistency. Consistency in your product or service is another cornerstone foundation. And then you move up into market positioning. This is your unique selling proposition, your target market, number one, and your guarantee. Then you put together your strategic and your tactical marketing plan. And then you do your sales training based on what kind of products or services you're delivering, whether it's a complex sale, a simple sale, transactional, you'll have different sales trainings. Well, and then you go to actually putting your systems together overall. Because that, that once you get that market positioning, your revenue starts coming in fairly consistently and your business is running okay. And we systemize everything. And system stands for save yourself time, energy, and money. You like that one? It's clever. It's clever. Well, thank you. And that means everything from your hiring, your firing systems, your operational systems, your marketing systems, your sales systems. Everything gets systemized and optimized, like Michael Gerber talks about in his book, E-Myth then you can put your team together because you're going to need a different team at that point than you did when you started. And, you know, now things are getting systemized. You put your team together and focus from profit and loss to valuation because now you start looking at exit modalities or selling the business or franchising or getting an investment to expand. And you're familiar with that space. I don't want to do a shameless plug, but you know, you need a mid-market investment banker to help you raise growth capital, merger acquisition, or some something else. Yeah, my email's on the website. It's, and, that, and most businesses need that. I mean, that's one of the core things is how does a business access funds when they need it? And an accountant is another critical thing. So having access to funds, an accountant, an attorney, and of course, a business coach to help you achieve your goals. That's kind of the process that I walk through with my clients. And that's how to build that house. Now, what you want that house to look like, that's up to you. It's your goals, not mine. Now, the funny thing is, is everyone at home is probably thinking Joe's just reading off some notes. He actually was closing his eyes, visualizing this for quite a bit of it. It, it was impressive. So, Joe, I got to ask you, say I'm starting a company or I already have a company. This framework, how long should it take to build out? Should I just go home, take a nap, meditate, wake up, it's done? Or what's kind of a timeline look like? You know, it goes anywhere from three hours to 30 hours, depending on how complex you want to get, and whether you're looking for funding or not, or a lot of other variables. But that gets you started, and then you actually start going. But to build a business, it's usually a minimum of 18 months and goes to 40 year, five years. A lot of my clients, we, we think that we're going, I remember one specifically said, okay, well, when we hit $4 million, we're done. Well, we get close to $4 million. He goes, you know what? Why don't we make it 10? And then we get close to 10. And it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should make it 20. The owner's 
vision of where they want, and it's okay. It's their goals. It's like you, Sean. If you have a goal, whose goal is it? It's mine. Who can change it? My wife. <laughs> when can she change it? Anytime she wants. That's right. It's kind of fun and interesting because some of it's the journey, not just the destination. Okay, then I got to ask that framework for the construction of that house, that business framework. Where do most people get the hiccups? Where do most people find that problem when they're starting off? It's almost always the time, the cornerstone at the base of everything is how you utilize your time. And people get so distracted and not focusing their brain share on where they need to, to achieve their goals. And time is our most valuable asset. And so once we get that nailed down, it actually gets much easier and every business starts accelerating. Okay, then I also have to ask, say if the company's having a few problems, is it better to try to fix things or is it better to start over? It depends. Most of the time, you can fix the problems. Um, if you've got a good idea and you start moving forward, typically it doesn't make sense to throw everything away unless you're just in a bad marketplace or a bad idea in the first place, then you throw it away. But if you've got a good idea or a good roadmap, you fix the problem. Every business has a major constraint. If you read the, the book, The Goal by Goldratt, you've got a biggest constraint for every business, and that's the only constraint that matters at that space and time. But as soon as you address that, there's another biggest constraint. The idea is every time you address a constraint, you open up that revenue and that profit number so that your business is, is growing. And that's the key. Identify your constraints, address that constraints, increase your revenue, profit, or your goals and objectives, and then address the next biggest constraint. It's like whack-a-mole almost. But you say, oh, once I fix this problem, everything's fine. No, it's not. There's going to be another biggest constraint. It's okay. That's what business is about. There's always going to be a next biggest constraint. Embrace it. Okay, now you were saying about the time being the most important thing and how it's allocated. How does, well, Actually, say you're a one-person company. You don't have a team to allocate things to. How do you, as that one-person founder, you know, before you grow into a 200-person company, how do you divide your time up? How do you divide up your responsibilities? What a great question. A lot of solopreneurs, when they start out, that, that's what bogs them down. So if you drew up your own org chart, which I recommend doing, even if you're a solopreneur, because there's different roles that you have to to be in. So for example, you've got to be the CEO. At some space in time, you've got to spend X amount, X percentage of your time, let's say 10% of your time in that CEO modality, strategic direction, um, managing the other functions, driving where the company's going. Then you typically have a VP of marketing. So you've got to put a marketing hat on, and then you've got a sales hat, and you got to put your sales hat on, and then operations, and then CFO. So those are some of the modalities that you might have to look at. And by the way, there's a great video on my YouTube channel that talks about that. We will have the links in the show notes. So everyone, please visit the SiliconValleyPodcast.com. And there we'll also have Joe's email and all the other good stuff for everyone to contact him. But yeah, it was time for that anyway. But it's because you have to wear different hats and it will change. If you want some round numbers, typically when a business starts out, there's been an about 10% of time, their time as CEO, 30% in marketing, 20% in operations, another 20 to 30% sales, depending on where the marketing is, uh, 10% in CFO. 
And that kind of varies on depending on where they're at until you get up to 100%. I recommend when you're targeting, putting your calendar together, target 40 hours of work week. Why it, not 80? Why not 110? Because your efficiencies go down so much. I mean, there's been so many studies. By the way, if you target 40, you're probably only going to work 50. <laughs> That's just reality. If you target 50, you're going to work 60 or 70. Target 40, it'll work better for you. I mean, we have our businesses to support our lives, not to be our lives. So when you're setting your goals, set your personal goals first, and your business should strive and thrive to fulfill your personal goals, not be who you are. So wait, Joe, how many of these techniques that you're talking about now did you implement when your business made that switch of, oh, I'm having problems to now I'm driving a nice convertible. You go into Tahoe with the pretty girl to my right. <laughs> my wife thanks you. Everything that I do, I've experienced in my own business because I run a small business. Congruency is everything to me. I've gone through these and with my clients, I've gone through it with them. Everything is, if I'm not doing it, I can't walk my clients through it. So congruency is everything to me. And every business has very, very similar problems. You've mentioned this calendar. You got to share a little bit about it. Can you tell us, now I know this is trade secret in that, but it's our audience. Can you share it with us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, once you identify what modalities you have to have. So let's say you've got to, you want to spend 10% in CEO time, 10% in CFO time. I don't have my notepad, so I'm, if I don't add this up correctly, you help me out here. 30% in marketing, 20% in sales, and 30% in operations. That sounds about like 100%. Now you take your 40-hour work week and divide that by the percentages of where you believe is the percentage of time you need to spend in that modality, and you start blocking off those big pieces on your calendar. Now, before you do that, the first thing you block off is your personal time. And the things that are important to you, date night with my wife, number one thing that goes on my calendar, and then your personal time. And then every morning you plan your day, every night you review your day and plan the next day. Now, this is one of the questions I get asked a lot. Well, why do I have to do it in the night and in the morning? All I'm doing is sleeping. This is the power of leveraging, setting goals and looking in the future. Our subconscious mind will work on the problems while we're sleeping. This is why when you get up in the morning, you got that, ooh, I'm a brilliant genius in the morning. I've got all these great ideas because your subconscious mind works twice as hard when you're sleeping as when you're awake. By looking at your calendar for the next day, you say, ooh, I got to work on this, work on this, work on this. Your subconscious mind will actually start addressing problems while you're sleeping. So we want to do in the evening, reviewing the next day or planning the next day, reviewing that day, Anything that didn't get done gets rescheduled. The morning, review your morning, and then you take a break in the morning, a break in the afternoon, and at least a half an hour lunch. Now, what you'll see is you've got these big chunks of time throughout the day where you can go into a modality and stay in that modality. For example, if you go into marketing modality, you stay in, you think like a marketing manager and you do as many marketing tasks as you can in that modality and you become efficient. In sales modality, it's all about doing the conversion of your clients. You stay in that modality. Operations modality, CEO, you stay in those modalities and you become efficient. If you bounce between modalities, you're going to have problems. 
If you're thinking like a CEO and you're trying to sell, you're not going to do well. Or if you're thinking like a CFO and you're trying to sell, you're not going to do well. Go into your modality, stay in that modality for 45 minutes to an hour and a half, and you can accomplish so many things. It's amazing. I'm averaging between eight and 12 hours back in my client's work week. And that's before we get started. So one of the things I say is I'm going to give you eight hours back in your work week. At least you give me three to four of them to work with you on your business. And then we'll start blasting off. All right. Now let's say that marketing modality. What does marketing mean for that startup, for that tech company, for that small business, or that team of one? Marketing is really, really simple. Let's just take it down to its lead generation. So let's say you're in the professional services. It's getting an appointment. Um, if you're, you have brick and mortar, it's somebody walking in the store. So depending on what kind of business you have, it really is lead generation, typically setting that appointment or getting somebody to walk in your door. That's marketing. Everything related to that is a marketing task. What about social media? What about Twitter, TikTok, all those? Those are all marketing tasks to drive leads. If you're not thinking like a marketing manager, thinking about what am I doing to drive leads? Now, some of it can be building your network or building your base, and that's okay. That's part of your strategy, but it should be a strategy, not just because you like to hang out on Facebook. I've got too many clients that we had to turn off their Facebook because they were spending too much time there. Okay, then I got to ask, say you get everything in order. You have all the modalities, you're, you got your sales going, you got your marketing going, you got your CFO hat, your CEO hat, everything is moving, your, the you, revenue is coming in, the leads are there. Now it's time to hire that first hire. Let's look at and do my skills fund matrix, which is you try to identify for every task that you're doing, does it require your skill? And is it fun for you? So I call it the skills fun matrix because there's some, maybe some activities that doesn't require your skill. And that's how you start deciding what to delegate out. And then you decide what to delegate out. And then you look at your financials. Okay, you can delegate this. Do I need to actually bring somebody on board? You do a cost analysis. Is it financially feasible? to? If I bring somebody on board, do I make more money? It's that simple. So you bring the person on who's going to benefit you more than it costs you. Right. Now you have a pretty big team. Well, now, well, first of all, you got to make sure you onboard them and train them. Okay. This is where things fall apart for so many businesses. They abdicate versus delegate. And, Go into more detail there. Oh, uh-huh, I like that. To delegate something, first of all, you have to have a process of how you want it done. How many businesses don't even have a, any type of documented process? We need to document the process. And then we train the individual. And when we train them, we show them what to do. And then we let them show us what they're doing. They're a fly on the wall. Then we're a fly on the wall. And then we watch them do it. And then we start having them report out and come to us and ask us questions. Hey, does this sound right? Yes, yes. And then you'll get to where you're just managing the metrics for that individual based on their position description and their KPIs. They're doing their job and they know how to do it. And they're optimizing the process themselves. Then you add on the next resource, the next resources as you're starting to grow. If you need to grow fast, you follow the same process. You just go faster. Okay. So say you're growing, say you're getting traction. How do you 
plan out your goals, your milestones? How far in advance should you be thinking of these goals or milestones? And should you focus on financial milestones first? What type of milestones should you think of? And I'll ask five more questions so you get lost in track of the questions. <laughs> Just make sure I got it. Well, I recommend you do a five, a three, a one-year plan. And then you focus on your one-year plan and breaking that down into monthly goals and the monthly goals down into weekly goals. And that is what creates what I call your annual roadmap. Every week, you know what you need to accomplish. That goes into your calendaring system based on what modality you need for that specific task. I mean, there's certain things that every business has to do. You have to develop your organizational chart. You have to develop your position descriptions and your KPIs. These are all things that every business needs to do. What's your hiring process? You need to define that at some space in time. When do you do that? That depends on where your business is today. As a coach, what I do is I don't know the answer. My job is to ask the business, where do you think this fits? It still needs to get done. When does it need to get done? It might be next month. It might be six months from now. But the whole idea of the roadmap is setting those goals to get to where we want to. Just like you do if you wanted to go from here to New York, you'd plot out the map. Now, as you're going to New York, you might go, hmm, let's stop in Vegas. And you turn off and it's okay. It's your destination, not mine. Say you you have all these milestones, one year, three year, five year. You're looking at the financials. Where do people get in trouble with financials? Um, well, first of all, by not knowing them. <laughs> That's the biggest one. Is You'd be surprised at how many clients I said, okay, let's look at your financials. And I look at their chart of accounts and I'm like, who developed these? And I'll say, well, my accountant. And I'll say, did they talk to you? And they're like, well, not really. Developing your chart of accounts and your financial system, the CEO must the or the owner must be engaged in that and defining your chart of accounts. That's how you run the business. You know the business better than anybody else. You've got to set that up. And then you've got to set up a system and a, and a process to ensure that your revenue is getting recognized, your bills are getting recognized, and you review that on a, on a minimal, a monthly basis. And then you put your budget together and your cash flow projections. Every business needs to have a profit and loss, a balance sheet, and a cash flow projection. Uh, and the cash flow ties in with your budget. It's, uh, and, and by the way, I've got a video on that. We'll stop the shameless plugs for now. Don't worry, people. We'll edit this out in post. <laughs> Okay, so Jill, right about now, say your business is one year in. How, and we talked about this at the very beginning, mindset. When does that wave of doubt or pain start hitting most founders? Usually at the six to nine month, they're like, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought. And then the nine months to one year, they're usually like, oh, what did I get myself? That nine to one year is like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Then they typically really just dive in and crank, 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 crank out. And they get to about 16 to 18 months. And that's when they either say, yep, I'm going to make this work or no, I quit. And by year two, 87% of businesses that start don't make it. They quit. And that makes me cry. In 2008, when I, when I kind of seven and eight, when I kind of started going this and we had uh, the challenges in the real start market and the, and, and other things, I would drive around and I'd be like, if that business would have talked to me, I might have been able to help them from closing up shop. And I would go home and cry about watching 
how many businesses closed up and how many people were out of jobs because I wasn't able to help them. So that mindset, say you do close up shop. How do you get over it? How do you continue? How do you try it again? For most people, it's not easy. And, you know, you, they, they go back to the drawing board, start over. A lot of people don't. A lot of people go and get a job, which is okay, too. It's your destination, nobody else's. You've got to define that. Starting and running a business is the hardest thing you'll probably ever do. So when you're talking to your clients, the companies you're helping, you're working with, do you use any disc? or any other emotional intelligence test when commuting with people? And if you do, can you tell us a little bit what they are and go into detail? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so many different tools out there that you can utilize personality profiles. There's the Myers-Briggs, which is uh, back, you know, I, we utilized in, in uh, my days at HP. I utilize DISC right now because it's easy to teach, it's easy to implement, and, and you can get a lot of things moving rather quickly. So DISC, is all about you're either outgoing or reserved, task-oriented or people-oriented at any specific space and time. We all have all of these in us. So there's, it's like big grayscale. It's not like, oh, you're outgoing and task-oriented. You're a high D. You're a driver. You're just going to be that all the time. No, that's maybe your natural or adaptive style, but you've got other styles and other in you. If you're outgoing and a people person, you're a high I or an influencer. If you're a people person reserved, you're typically a high S. You're steady. You don't like big changes. You like peace and harmony. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> but if you're a high C, you're task-oriented and reserved, typically very analytical. You're calculating. You want to make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Now, most of us have all of these in us at all times, but we, in a specific space and time, you can consciously move into those modalities. So if I identified what modality you were in, pretty simple, are you being outgoing or reserved, people-oriented or task-oriented? A high C, you're right now reserved a little bit and very calculating. I mean, when I watch you put the dials and adjust all the sound stuff, wow, you're very detail-oriented. For To improve my communication, I move in that modality and it improves communication. My high D mode is my army mode, outgoing, task-oriented, get stuff done and get out of my way. My high I is my sales modality. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's go out, have fun. Look look at me, yay. My high S modality is when I'm working with my special needs kids. I can't have big changes. Nice, calm, even, no big changes. It's evolution, not revolution. And my engineering modality, with my background, I go into high C mode. Everything is exactly right. There is only black and white. It's either right or wrong. And that's, all of us have those modalities. The key is identifying when you're in that modality, identifying what modality somebody else is in, moving that modality to help improve communication. Now, the other thing is with teamwork, though, you want opposite personality styles to provide balance. If you're a high D, you will have a tendency to hire high Ds, which is a problem. You need to hire someone that's almost the opposite of your personality style. Now, that'll cause conflict, but it'll also provide balance in the organization. Because if you're going to hire everybody the same as you, why hire anybody? Just make all the decisions. Well, I'll be honest. Everyone like me, that would be an amazing company. <laughs> <laughs> it's rather, isn't that interesting? 
Okay, Joe, I got to ask. I'm guessing you teach DISC or other personality profile to some of your clients. What type of results do they get once they start thinking of, wait, I do have to change my communication based on who's in front of me? The communication and the teamwork improves exponentially. I mean, all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's why that person is like that, because that's who they are. It's not that they're trying to to be difficult or anything else, but that's who they are. You'd want your accountant to be a high C, very calculating, very black and white, is right or wrong. You want that in that modality for your, your customer service. You probably want a high S or in your HR, which is a people person reserved that's calm, well collected, and really cares about people. And a high I as a salesperson, you want them out there and energizing people and getting things moving and making the sale. And for your operations manager, you might want a high D that's going to get stuff done. That's not saying that different personality styles can't be successful in different roles. It's just that's a tendency that I've seen over the years. Okay, so now we have a company. Let's say they've passed that two-year mark. CEO, mentally strong, Super Bowl mindset. He's going out there. He's crushing it hitting all the milestones, that three-year plan, he's going to surpass it. Everything is going fantastic. How does he know he's at point where where he his company's at can't really expand anymore? He has to either go to a new location or change his process, or he has to do something to the business that he's crushing it. Remember, he's doing great to actually go to the next level. You must do your annual planning and figure out where you are and where you want to go next. What could happen is if a business owner or a business are crushing it and they start getting lazy, they start getting, okay, I'm satisfied, then they're going to stop changing. So in my book, there's a formula called is the formula for change, which is D, dissatisfaction, times vision, times first steps. So if any one of those are zero, you're not going to change. You're not going to do something different. So you've got to be a little dissatisfied with where you're at have a vision of where you want to go and take those first steps. If any of those are zero, you're not going to move forward. They got to reset their goals. It's that simple, especially once you achieve them. Okay. Or you, if your goal was to hit $5 million and sell, then they should call you, right? Or 10 million. Actually, this leads me to my next question then for you. How does a company, they're killing it. They've redone their goals. Now they're at year three, they're at year five. Sky's the limit. How do you prepare a company for an exit event or to maybe take on outside capital to really ramp things up? So we go back to what's the ultimate goal? This is, remember that foundation piece at the very, very beginning of building the house? That's where you start. So you go back to that and say, okay, do I want to change what my goal was? Do I want to revise that? Do I want to modify that? If your goal is to exit out at 20 million, then we start putting the plan in place to get there, which is we focus on the valuation of the company, the multiple, and looking for strategic buyers. By the way, I know somebody that can help out in that space if you're interested. I can introduce you. His name's Sean something. But if we put the plan in place for that exit. If you want to expand or franchise, then we start putting the plans in place for that. But it's a very different plan to franchise than it is to expand to five locations than it is to sell the business. Very different strategic plans to move in those in three very, very different directions. Now, Joe, I'm going to ask you something. Can you share a story 
with one of your clients. You don't need to say names or anything. Can you share a story with us of someone you've worked with? I remember one that they were running about $7 million when they came in. And they said something to the effect of, I'm running an successful business. I think I need to start running this like a business. And I went, I didn't see their financials yet. I said, well, you know, let's have a look at your financials, see where you're at. And I went, yeah, you probably want to start running this like a business. Now, at that time, he was running a $7 million business, barely making any money. He was paying himself less than $100,000 a year. Now, that might sound good in St. Louis, Missouri or some other places, but here in the Bay Area, it's hard to eat at, at that level. So we started actually building the business from the ground up and started with the calorie and walked through the whole process. In about three and a half years, um, we were running it at $22 million plus, and the company valuation was more than $22 million. And the CEO had actually started spinning off to start up another company because that was running well. And once you learn the process and the system for running one company, you can run multiple companies. There's a guy named uh, Richard Branson. You may have heard of him. And one of his famous quotes where if you can run one business successfully, you can run a hundred. It's because the business is running without you. You're managing it via your financials, via your reports. Between an employee satisfaction survey, a customer satisfaction surveys, and your financials, you know what's going on. And you pop in and check things out, make sure everything's okay. You've built a business that works without you. And that's my job is to help my clients get there. All right, Joe, we're going to give a shameless plug for you right now. Brainshare, how do you see, what are your goals, your vision, the things, milestones you're going to execute and hit in the next three to five years? In the next three to five years, um, of course, is helping out 2,000 businesses per year. I, I'm going to continue doing that. And uh, as I continue I'll, in the next three years, I will probably semi-retire and go buy my island. It's going to become a scuba diving resort where I do executive or business coaching retreats. You can come there. It's $10,000 a weekend, and I really don't care whether you come or not because I'm hanging out there, and it's my retirement more than anything else. But I'll still keep some clients because I just I thrive on helping people. So that's my vision and goals is I'm going to buy an island and make it my own personal diving resort. Joe, we got to get you back on the show when that happens. You tell me in advance. And uh, also, I hope there's a hammock on that island for me because I'm going to come and visit. There's definitely a hammock and you're a scuba diver, so we'll be out in the water too. All right. Now, Joe, if anyone wants to find out more about you, what you're working on, what's the best way to go about doing it? Just give me a call at 408-899-6737. My admin team will set up an appointment, a free consultation where we'll talk about your business, where you're at, where you want to go, and what makes the most sense for you. You can also visit us at www.brainsharecoach.com. My YouTube channel is on the website. Fantastic. We're going to have all those in the show notes. So check out the Silicon Valley podcast.com. And for everyone out there, I mean, we did make a few comments throughout this episode, but if you're in the mid market and looking for an investment banker to help you out, please feel free to send me an email. It's sf at globalcapitalmarkets.com. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and my social media handles are Sean Flynn SV. And I look forward to seeing everyone next week on the Silicon Valley podcast. And Joe, once again, thank you for your time today. John, thank you. And this was makes us so 
Creative Partners is I'll help build it up and then you help them exit out. Sounds great. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.